I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now that means Italy, and this means amore in Italy, because we're talking falling in love with an Italian and literally moving in. Italy is one of the most popular, I would say it is the most popular European destination these days, and a lot of people are mixing travel and romance, that's for sure. I've got with me one of my guides who actually took me and my family around Italy on a Village Italy tour a couple of years ago, and Lisa Anderson is with us today. Lisa was um, born and raised in Seattle. She taught English in Italy in 97, and apparently uh, one of her favorite students, Mauro, uh, stole her heart and... uh, Lisa married Mauro in year 2000, and now they've got a three-year-old son, Filippo, and they're living in Piedmont in northern Italy. Lisa, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So you went to Italy, and you went to Italy in order to, to teach English? Yes. Tell us how you met Mauro. I had gone to have a cultural experience to learn the language and just kind of walked door-to-door with my CV, or my resume, I guess we'd say, and... The second school I walked into said, oh, they're hiring. Mauro was one of my first students, uh, didn't turn my head. And then after a number of months, he finally asked me out for coffee. He took his time, and that was it. We started going out, and not a whole lot of time later, we got married. Now, I've heard Italian men are really, really slick with tourist women. Uh-huh. I mean, like that. that's the first thing they learn to say in their English language. Ciao, bella. Ciao, bella. <laughs> And in, I know in Venice, the boys hang out on St. Mark's Square, just mm-hmm. like uh, some people go fishing. Mauro uh, was very different. He was uh, pretty reserved, actually, which was one of the things I really appreciated about him. The first time we ever went out, he said goodnight, uh, walked me to the door, and kissed me on the cheek. And that was rather refreshing after the first few Italian men I had gone out with. By the way, is that still a problem for Americans in Italy these days, where men will actually pinch them and, and uh, you know... Uh, I've never been so. pinched. Right. So that's uh, a sort of an old 1960s thing. Although I've heard the farther south you go, the more it's true. You get cat calls, not so much in the northern part, but in southern Italy. The farther south you go, the, the hotter it gets. Yeah. So that's part of that. And I think it's important for American women not to get put off by that. It's, of course, it's not acceptable in our norms here in the no, United States. No, but it's States. the culture there. It's the culture there. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of women actually miss it when they get home. What's wrong with being called, saying, hi, beautiful? I like being called beautiful. And that's what happens on the streets? Yeah. Now, this is interesting. They have this wonderful thing, uh, the passeggiata, Mm -hmm. and it's just everybody's out strolling in the evening. Mm -hmm. When is that, early evening, late afternoon? It happens early evening and then again after dinner often. And in a small town especially. Actually, big cities too if you know where to stroll. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I like it because there's this wonderful, subtle bella Mm -hmm. or bello. And uh, this is something you've got to be very careful about if you're going to get in the flirting scene there. Mm-hmm. You've got to get your genders right, right? Absolutely. Because you don't want to tell a, a girl, bello. No, no. Tell us about that. Uh, if, you, if you tell a girl that she's bello, you're saying she's very masculine, essentially. You'd be saying, you're, or you're a man, maybe you're a cross-dresser. <laughs> I don't know. Bella. So you want to, if you're a guy and you're appreciating the women on the street, Ciao you would bella. say, Ciao bella. Or if you want to be a little more vulgar but still appreciative, not unappreciated there, que fica. What does that mean? It's talking about... I can take it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's a different... Now, there's... Because in Rome, they have something rougher than the normal passeggiata, mm-hmm. and it's called the struccio. Struccio, and it's, that's literally rubbing. Ah, interesting. And people are out in the streets in Rome, and you got these coato types, the more uh-huh. vulgar, lower-class kind of uh, characters in the street. And they're out there making the scene, and they're literally brushing against each other as they walk. And they don't say bella, bello, but they say 
what you just said there. What was that? Fica, fico. Fica, fico. So that's an, a subtlety when you're traveling in Italy. That's nice to be tuned into. Uh-huh. Now, you met Mauro. And Mauro, is he, a, a lot of guys in Italy are famous for being mamone. What is that? Mamone, mama's boy. Mom's and they are. Uh, Mauro is not a typical Italian man, which is probably why I married him. He actually does windows and cleans the house. I know he's amazing. Uh, his father set a good example for him. But I have met a number of mamone. Mamone. That's mama's boy. And mama's they, they boy. can't break the umbilicone. No, the umbilical cord does not want to <laughs> go so, anywhere. So these are men that, that stay at home until they're 35, then they get married, and it's like from one mother to if the next. If they get married. Really? Yeah. This is really a, phenomen- a, a uniquely Italian thing, I, I would you, say. Can I tell a story about a friend I have who... Uh, her husband kept taking his laundry home to his mother after they were married. And she later realized that he was doing it because he was trying to help her. She worked full time, but she didn't appreciate it very much. And one day they started getting in an argument because he couldn't find something that he had probably taken to his mother's house and didn't bring back. She said, before you get on my case, why don't you go check with your mother and see if she's got it. And then she finally came out and she says, okay, let's put it this way. For every shirt you take home to your mother... I'm going to sleep one night at my mother's. And that probably solved the problem. Yeah. I'm talking with Lisa Anderson, and we're, uh, we're talking about falling in love with, a, with somebody in a foreign country and actually living happily ever after. Is that safe to say? Yeah. How many years into your marriage are you? Uh, the fourth. Fourth year. And, and you got I a little baby. And I still love him. And yes. you still love Mauro. And I love my baby. And you're living in a small town in northern Italy. Very small town. Tell me about the legalities, Lisa, of um, marrying and moving into another country. How complicated was that? In the end, we found out it was actually easier for us to get my documents if we got married in America, which worked out well for me because I always wanted to have a wedding in a garden rather than a, a church. And so I came back here and had a wedding party. My husband really didn't care a whole lot about where he was married, and it was really fun because his parents came to the Seattle area to see us get married, which for them was a big deal because we are talking small-town Italy, very provincial people, and... Wow, what an adventure that was. And they came to America for the wedding. And they spent a week before the wedding with us and then the first week of our honeymoon, which was Your mother-in-law and your father-in-law came with you on your honeymoon. And my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and their eight-year-old Now, that's not child. typical Italian. Mm, <laughs> well. <laughs> or just a big family, huh? Yeah. Now, how, how's your relations with your mother-in-law and your father-in-law? Um, my father-in-law has passed away. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law, we have a pretty good relationship. We have our moments. I don't think she expected someone who... Uh, necessarily talked back to her if she didn't agree with her her way. But you have to understand that we live right next door to her in the same house. And that was a little closer than I'd ever lived to my parents. And uh, she's a really nice lady, and I think all in all we get along very well. But we have different ideas about life and culture, obviously. I have different cultural, I have a different cultural background than what she has. Okay, so you're you're moving into Italy. You've got your Italian husband. You're you're raising three year old Filippo. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be raising a child in Italy? Are you raising an American child, an Italian child? Hopefully, we're ma- raising a, an Italian American child. It's going to be. He obviously will be a bit more Italian. I would say. My friends make fun of me because I said once, "Ah, oh, no, he doesn't have an accent when he speaks English." and he really does. Really? Uh-huh. Right. But it's cute. He speaks both languages. And you intend to raise him bilingual? Very well, yes. I've always spoken English to him, and Mauro has always spoken Italian, and my mother-in-law speaks in the Piemontese dialect. Here we have a question from Anne in Atlanta. Anne's on the line. Hi. Buongiorno, Lisa. How Buongiorno. are you? Buongiorno. Bene, tu? 
Oh, molto bene, grazie. Okay. Or, or so, or, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> so what do you, what's on your mind, Anne? No, I was just um, wondering what were some of the other cross-cultural issues that you had to deal with once you began married life in Italy? And uh, you may have discussed this earlier before I could hear this. Are you raising your son bilingually, did you say? Yes, he speaks both languages That's and a bit of dialect as well. Great, great. And it's amazing how kids handle languages. I mean, for them it's easy. They are truly sponges. I bet they are, right. Did you have any other cross-cultural uh, issues that you felt that were a little bit difficult when you first began your married life in Italy? The, just the being so close to my in-laws, uh, living literally in the same house with them, so I can't even go and hang out my laundry to dry <laughs> without my mother-in-law <laughs> seeing me cross. And she would actually do something that was very annoying to me. She still does occasionally. She'd go out and rehang all my laundry if I didn't do it properly. Oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> is there a certain technique in Italy that there you... There <laughs> is. You need airflow. And so pants would have to be hung with four clothespin, as would underwear. And oh, I, my. I still rebel, and I only hang my underwear with three clothespins. Airflow. <laughs> airflow. <laughs> so your mother-in-law makes sure you know about the airflow. And they have to be turned inside out because the sun bleaches clothes. You know, they do that in certain areas of Switzerland as well. That uh-huh. is very interesting, the inside-out underwear effect. It's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Things right. you would never know about. Absolutely. So, and thank you so much for your call. Well, thank you. And uh, happy travels. Happy travels to you. Okay. Bye, Anne. Thanks. Bye-bye. We have Walt on the phone in Cartersville, Georgia. And Walt loves Italy, and he, uh, he wants to know how likely it is for an unmarried American male with no Italian relatives to live in Italy. And uh, what are the chances of marrying an Italian woman? Hi, Rick. Hi. It sounds like you're ready for an Italian experience. Oh, yes, another one. I've been there, uh, well, this uh, this last uh, spring I was there for my fourth trip over, and I seem to want to uh, always go back to Italy in spite of there being so much of Europe to see. It's a beautiful place. Have you ever had a romantic uh, encounter with an Italian woman in your travels? Uh, nothing nothing of, of any uh, adept, really. I've, I've met some Italian women, but I find that uh, it's, for me, it seems to be fairly difficult to to meet an Italian woman, and I don't know if that's the uh, social and cultural differences that mm-hmm. we have, as well as the language differences, but do you speak that Italian? is the case. Do you speak any Italian, Walt? Uh, I speak some. I speak more than I did the previous trip that I made, and uh, for me that was a very empowering thing to, to feel like I could do more than simply ask directions to the nearest store down the street or around the corner. I would imagine that would be a huge advantage if you wanted to meet somebody to speak the language. Yes, I think so. And, and, you know, I've I've learned a bit, but I don't think it really gets me in, shall we say, the front door of knowing what's really going on inside the the, the person's head and expressing real feelings, true feelings. Well, here's Lisa. Lisa met met an Italian and ended up uh, connected and happily connected. Uh, Lisa, do you have any... How how would an American who's sincerely interested in in, uh, meeting somebody in Italy and loves the culture and so on... What would be a way to meet meet a local person, a man or a woman? To go and live there, because you you can't just go for a vacation and probably form any sort of lasting relationship. I did not speak any Italian when I went to live there. I could say grazie, thank you, and count to about ten, and that was pretty much really. It. And you learned as an adult. I learned as an adult. I actually did not study formally until I came back to Seattle to think about getting married, uh, but I was very. Uh, inspired to study, I'd say. I studied 
while I was not teaching English. And it was really interesting. I went to bed at night conjugating verbs in my head because I lived in a small town. I decided to really go uh, and get delve into the culture. And I didn't want to choose a big city where I'd get caught up in the expat culture. Mm-hmm. And so without Italian, I would get very lonely very quickly. Now, Lisa, in a romantic language country, romance mm-hmm. language country or, or Mediterranean culture where it's sort of a macho men's world on the streets, I would imagine it's easier for a woman, an American woman, to meet an Italian man than an American man to meet an Italian woman. Uh, what do you think about that? I would say that's probably true. But, you, I mean, it's easy to meet the women as well, but you would definitely need to to be more involved in the culture and to get to know some of the families because you'd need to be presented more to them. You need to be presented? I would say. Talk uh, more. Italian women really need to feel comfortable with people. Uh, you know, a lot of the men they end up marrying, they meet very young. We said earlier during the passeggiata, often the, the evening passage, I knew people who met their partners for life, and they might have met them while they were teenagers, and they would have gone out for 10 or 12 years together before even getting married. Wow. So it takes some time. Italian women are not easy. <laughs> Italian women are not easy. Italian men? Italian men would like easy women, but I There's don't think they're getting there, it, it from the Italian women. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Walt, what are your thoughts? I discussed this with a married friend of mine who had traveled with his wife to Florence just prior to my trip to Tuscany, and uh, we both agreed that as we, and he was certainly not seeking other women, but we both felt uh, in our respective experiences that we were rather invisible as American men walking down the street, that the women just did not see us, and I felt that there, this would be a hard nut to crack, shall we say, to 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 be able to find that the Italian woman could warm up to the American male. I have to say I can I can relate to your frustration there. On the streets in tourist areas, local women would think of all the tourists as just I think just kind of dorks with money Men walking or around women. buying yeah. buying pizza and drinking beer. Um it's just not a not a very impressive scene. You would need to get yourself out of that world, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah. into a small town bocce ball court or mm-hmm. into a English as a second language club or into some sort of an association. Take a language course or go and teach English or uh, some other profession if you were interested in working. It's not easy to get work permits to live in Italy. When I went there, I was illegal. I went on a tourist visa, uh, but it was not difficult for me to find a job. Let's talk about that a little bit because Walt was also concerned about uh, employment opportunities mm-hmm. over there. Uh, right. So you want to get a job over there. You can go the... Uh, the formal route, which probably is complicated, or you can just go over there and say, hey, I got charm, I speak English, you need somebody who can connect with tourists, mm-hmm. uh, you can pay me under the table. How does that work, Lisa? That's basically it. Yeah, I found a school, a woman who was willing to employ me and uh, gave me a student visa. I had to actually come back to the United States for a student visa, so if you can get a student visa before going, that's easier. Uh, technically, I think you can even work part-time with a student visa, although mine actually said I couldn't. Uh, but my, Italians, my Italians is, are very good at breaking the law, and so I just kind of stepped right in and played the Italian role. My understanding is uh, legally Europeans are not inclined to hire an American if it will unemploy a local person. It's hard to get permission. True, which is why it's very hard to find jobs other than teaching that are legal unless jobs. You're, that are legal jobs unless you have some specific qualifications. There are also resources. If you were to go to a, a public library and ask at the reference desk, there are local publications that uh, publish overseas jobs. Hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And there's the Whole World Handbook, I think, or the uh, Whole World uh, 
Transitions Abroad. That's it. Transitions exactly. Abroad is a great publication in the United States for people looking for work and study overseas. opportunities mm-hmm. overseas. Hey, Walt, when you're going to Italy, remember, if you want to get a job, you can uh, try to go to places where there's a lot of tourism and there's a real need for English-speaking salespeople. And mm-hmm. that could be a ski resort. That could be a Florence in a, in a silver or leather shop. Uh, that's where you have a marketable skill. But if exactly. you're going to be... Uh, yeah, somewhat as a... Not a middleman per se, but someone who can translate between the the buyer and the seller. Yeah, not a middleman at all. A front man, a person who connects and then charms people into giving your employer money. Right. You see, right. and that's yeah. where they're frustrated. They've got great stuff, but they can't connect with Americans because Americans are skeptical about this person. But you could be the connector there. And there's right. so much tourism in Italy right now. Italy is so, so popular that way. Mm-hmm. Walt, thank you very much for your call. And thank good you, luck. Thank Let, you, Lisa. You're welcome. Let us know if, you. You, uh, if we help you get connected there. Sure will. I'll, I'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks again. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. We got Kristen on the phone in Seattle, and Kristen is interested in working uh, part-time or full-time in Italy. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Great. What are you Great. thinking about as far as getting a job in Italy? Well, I just returned from my second trip there, and I've just fallen in love with the culture and the landscape and the people there. And... Um, I enjoyed in the conversation that you just had and that um, looking at um, possible full-time work there and moving there permanently um, or a job where I could balance time between the United States and Italy and just um, interested in any opportunities that uh, you can think of or any resources out there. Like we said before, the, the publication, what was it, Worlds Abroad? The tr- no. uh, Transitions, Transitions Abroad. Abroad. I love that magazine, by the way, Transitions Abroad. It's just a, a wonderful magazine for travelers, students, uh, people of any age who want to get a job overseas. Uh, that's a good resource. And then again, just, you know, like I said, I was there teaching, and I literally went over without a job. I had uh, just put as much money in the bank as I could here. I sold my car, and that was my way into Europe. And I walked with my resume in hand into schools and just presented myself and saw what came up. I got to say, Lisa's an impressive person. If she walks into your office, you do want to hire her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, Kristen, thanks for your call and good luck. Thank you. You bet. Ciao. Bye. Lisa, you moved to Italy and now you've had this sense of the American having this almost Tuscan son kind of experience where you get charmed by the culture and you mm-hmm. move in. Give us a reality check. I, we watched the movie The Tuscan Son and we just think it can be so magical. Uh, you've been there for what, five or six years now? Mm-hmm. Uh, going on eight. Going on eight. Uh, the tempo of life, has that been an adjustment? Uh, people, are you the American in the town that nobody really wants to get intimate with? Or what's it like in a, t- in a small town in Italy being the American? It's different. Uh, boy, it's funny because the older people actually have accepted me more readily than younger people, which I found really surprising. It took a while. I found that once my son was born and people saw me walking around with a baby carriage, that made a big difference. And that was so after, what, two years of marriage— with a kid pretty quickly, uh, and that it's the nonas in town that really say hi to me and accept me. We and found that s- with our babies when we were in Italy. Uh, I mean, children are little even as tourists. Princes I mean, and right princesses. Away, we were everybody's favorite. Oh, little ciao, bella, bello. It's almost you almost <laughs> there should be some sort of a service where people can rent a baby for a couple of days Absolutely. just for the fun of having a baby well, in Italy. Being pregnant's pretty good too. There <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what about uh, the tempo of life? I mean, you're an American, and you go over there, and things just don't work as efficiently and expediently as they do here, do they? No, that took some adjusting to the town that I moved into, which was sort of medium-sized, 55,000, 65,000 people. Everything was closed on Sunday, and I mean everything except bars, cafes. Uh, 
and Monday morning there were no grocery stores open, and on Thursday afternoon all the grocery stores closed. Uh, there was a three-hour siesta in the middle of the day, which was pretty much the only time I had free to go shopping because everything closed after 7.30 in the evening, and I usually worked until 8 o'clock. So this is enforced. Mellow out. Slow down. Yeah, so now, you've been there for seven or eight years. Uh, are you still bucking that, or do you realize that's more wise? No, I think it's a pretty nice, nice lifestyle. I think that there's sort of a happy medium between the two cultures, honestly, and they're starting to change a little bit as well. You can find things open on Sunday. Actually, in the smallest towns, you usually find services open, where in the medium size and big cities, it's harder to, from my experience. I think the big cities, there's... Big cities are not slow. No. Big cities are big cities yeah, everywhere sure. you go. The how, about, how about the politics lately? I mean, Italy is famous for its peace flags. When I was there after the, you know, the start of the Gulf War, there was mm-hmm. peace flags everywhere. Now, you're an American there, and they got their ideas on the politics. Uh, regardless of who's right or wrong or any of that stuff, what's it like to be an American living in small-town Italy with the political environment these days? People fortunately understood the difference between our government and what we were doing and whether – and individuals and what they thought. So they just asked me what I felt, whether I was for or against the war, what I thought of the things that were going on, and and I told them, and they recognized the difference. So they don't con- if they if they do not like our government's foreign policy, they don't condemn an American individual for it. No, but they want to talk. Right. I've noticed after George Bush's second election that Europeans are a little more forward now about broaching this issue. I haven't talked to a whole lot of people since the second election, honestly, about it, uh, simply because. It was sort of, you know, right before the holidays, November, December, and I haven't been out on tour as much, actually, so I haven't, haven't had as much contact with people. And I will be curious to see once I get out there uh, more what the opinions are. My friends haven't really asked me a whole lot, which I find curious. I don't know if they're being polite or... <laughs> I'm still very convinced that the, that the fact is you do not need to minimize where you travel according to what you think people's uh, feelings are about American foreign policy. People accept us Americans as individuals. We can travel anywhere and be ambassadors of goodwill. We'll be received respectfully. There are certain odd crackpots that are going to do things that would be, you know, just rude and and kind of goofy. But unless you're an ugly American, you're not going to be treated badly. I mean, if you go out there and travel and and are respectful of the culture that you're traveling within, you're not going to have any problems. And some people are treated like ugly Americans, but I've just done a 25-year study of that, and I've concluded that people who are treated like ugly Americans are treated that way because they're ugly Americans. They're not bad people. They're just ethnocentric. Yes. And you go to Italy, you go to France, you go to Brazil, you go to Thailand. They do things differently there. They wouldn't trade passports. No, they would not. My husband would never trade his passport in. They like being who they are, that's and that's exactly a beautiful right. thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah, a wonderful thing. Our planet is uh, some diversity that I think we can celebrate. Mm-hmm. Lisa Anderson, thank you so much for sharing your experience in Italy, and best wishes to you and your beautiful family. Grazie. Prego. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Italy and beyond. On Rick's website, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Italy's top sites, and a monthly travel newsletter and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To prepare for your next Italian adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.